Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Alright, we are back for the love of the run With Carolyn Sue Carolyn, how are you? Hello, hello. Well, it's a Monday morning, so I don't know how to answer that question without sounding <laughs> angry. But um, I have my coffee. I walked my dog and the kids are off to school. So I guess all in all, doing OK. <laughs> Let's do it. See, I'm so excited. See, part of the reason we start doing this monthly collaboration was because in so many ways, our lives like mirrored each other. In different ways. And it was always kind of funny to like talk things out. Like, what's going on with you? Hey, same thing's going on with me. This is crazy. (laughs) Um, Little did we know that this was going to morph into the running world. Last time we talked, we talked about how like my marathon was not to be. And it was just like, it was just a hot mess. It didn't work out. It wasn't great. But we were so excited because we could quickly shift off my bad marathon experience to your upcoming marathon experience at Sugarloaf Mountain, which was like really exciting. Like, this is going to be great. You're coming off injury. Here we go. Marathon time. Oh, gosh. We, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize this was going to be a curse, Carolyn. <laughs> I know. Like, what a way to kick off our series here. We have a DNF and then we have a DNS. <laughs> First two episodes. So watch me through the timeline because this is like the timeline was not it was pretty shortly after our last recording. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, my family got COVID. <laughs> Woohoo! For those of you who can't remember, Carolyn was like kind of sniffling through the last podcast oh, and even gosh. made reference to the fact that she had seasonal allergies yes. on the show. I know. I think I talked about wasn't I telling you to get tested because <laughs> you were yes, feeling exactly. well? <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, but I did test myself. Um, I think we recorded on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, Tuesday evening was when I was just kind of getting a little bit sniffly, itchy, itchy throat feeling. But, you know, the pollen count here has been so ridiculously high. And um, and so I thought perhaps it was just allergies. And Wednesday, same thing, you know, because I was feeling overall like feeling totally fine. No, no swollen lymph nodes or anything. And usually for me, that's the telltale sign of um, coming down with a cold or, or flu. Um, so I, but I went ahead and I took a test on Wednesday morning, um, just to be sure it was negative. So, you know, in my mind, I just thought, okay, well, it's not COVID tested negative. I'm not feeling horrible. It's just that itchy allergy symptom. So that's that. So I totally did not mask or anything at home, you know, like just cooking, interacting with the family, totally just like free and relaxed. And then Thursday, I still wasn't feeling too great. And in fact, I was kind of feeling that post-nasal drip. So I thought, oh, I guess I, I guess it's not allergies. It must be a cold then. Again, because I tested negative. <laughs> and so, you know, sent the kids off to school. I went to CVS, got the usual, you know, cold medicine pack of stuff that I get for myself with the zinc and then the, um, what's it called? Like the Mucinex and NyQuil stuff, you know, just to like preempt everything. Took the Mucinex D, which usually helps a lot, you know, with the congestion stuff. But I just felt worse and worse through the day, even to the point where when I had to pick up Joshua from school and, you you know, their school is about uh, just two blocks away and it's an easy walk, not a big deal. I did that walk <laughs> and got back and I was exhausted and I barely had enough energy to tell Joshua to unpack his stuff. And I just thought, OK, I'm just going to sit down on the couch real quickly 
And uh, I'll be up in a second to make your snack. Okay, buddy? And I like passed out (laughs) for so long. It was at least an hour or something. And woke up feeling like, what is happening? And um, somebody else, another Instagram friend of mine um, messaged me and said that she, her friend tested negative initially for COVID, um, but still wasn't feeling well. Basically, like same thing as I was feeling. And like it, it took three to four tests for her friend before testing positive. And I don't know. I guess it just kind of stuck with me. It was kind of on the back of my mind because I just kept feeling not great. But finally in the evening, again, after cooking and like interacting with the family, totally unmasked and didn't quarantine or anything, you know, then after the kids went to bed that evening, I thought, okay, why don't I just, I'll use like the the brand name, the high-end COVID test, you know, not the cheap the generic Gucci. ones. You the Gucci yeah. test. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so like, okay, okay, let's use that one. Let's use the, the, the Binax, you know, test and see. And sure enough, that second line, that second pink line <laughs> started showing up. And it was just this like immediate, I don't know, like we have never all this time, the, these last two years, we've been in the clear, you know, and we have followed all the safety precautions. If anything, we were more conservative than than maybe was necessary. But man, oh, that sinking feeling, you know. That and it was the out. timing, obviously, because yeah. okay. So let's let's so let's talk about like how so far how far out from the marathon because all of a sudden I know you like you're like okay, well I have COVID, but then you start forwarding like well, what does this mean? Yeah, exactly. For, you know, the, for the upcoming weeks and races and all that. So what was the what was the time gap here that we're dealing with? Gosh, I mean, you know, you're a runner when <laughs> when it's like you test positive for COVID and you're still kind of like, well, <laughs> how many days out can I still run my race? You know and uh, I was not ready to, yeah, I was not ready to close the, the door on that yet because it was still, so it was Wednesday. Um, I was still a good 10, 10 days out at least, you know, from um, the marathon. And, and I, you know, I, and I told my coach and she was also like, okay, let's not jump to conclusions yet. You know, and everybody responds to COVID differently. Let's just take this one day at a time. Um, And so I was still feeling very hopeful and really just trying to, like, keep my mind from spiraling, right? Um, But definitely the next day, that was, I think, when I felt the worst. Just really needed to sleep. A lot of fatigue. I was taking, you know, I quarantined the bedroom, the bathrooms, everything. Honestly, it was kind of nice because I was like, all right, family. Go fend for yourselves while I just lay around in bed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, all right, all right, I, I can enjoy this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I gen- generally I felt a whole lot better uh, energy wise by day four after first signs of symptoms. So that also gave me some hope. It's like, OK, look, if we continue on this trajectory, then I'll be good to go, you know, by by the following Sunday. Um, and then, but by the time, like by that fourth day when I was turning a corner, Joshua was turning the corner in a different direction. <laughs> and it just slowly was like, Joshua started feeling the same like itchy throat symptoms, you know, um, the, ne- the next day. And then it was Jimmy and then it was Chloe. And so basically one by one, uh, everyone 
came down with COVID. And so then even though energy wise, I was feeling a lot better by that point, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure everybody in the household has COVID now. There's no need to stress out necessarily about like keeping everyone isolated in quarantine because we're all clearly sharing the same germs. Um, So I just focused all my energy on taking care of everyone else, you know, and, and like, yeah, doing the laundry, uh, disinfecting everything and just tending to everyone else's energy levels as well as the kids navigating their school things having to notify their teachers and so I think in another way a lot of my capacity and bandwidth was then still being drained um it's just in a different way and and I continue to kind of have that it was like almost deceiving where I thought I was going to continue to exponentially feel better and better. But really, it was just that one day between day three and four that I felt really great and maybe was like 60%, you know, recovered in my mind. But then for the following, I mean, another 10 to 15 days after that, I just felt like there was this low grade. I was at this like, there was this low grade something in the constantly just simmering um, where I was still having heart palpitations. I My heart rate was still elevated. And I still had this like mild congestion just lingering in the back, back of my throat that just couldn't like really fully clear itself. Um, and I tried to do, let's see, I tried to do a test run. Um, I don't remember which day now. Definitely the following week. Um, oh, on I think on the Friday, just to see. And it was so this was like two or three days before the marathon. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think I actually had already decided before then, before my test run. Like basically a week after the Wednesday before my marathon um, that night, I had what felt like a panic attack where all of a sudden I my whole body, like everything felt really cold and clammy. My heart rate, my heart was just pounding. Um, and I was feeling like I had shortness of breath and kind of dizzy. And then I just, and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't breathe um, quickly enough or slowly enough um, to calm myself down. And um, I had to, like Jimmy was in another room and I didn't even feel like I had enough energy to call for him. I I had my phone next to me, so I at least was able to text him and ask him to come (laughs) and like just hold my hand because then I was seriously afraid that like, I don't know, that something serious was going to happen medically and that he would need to call number one or something. And then but eventually, you know, after a few minutes, my heart rate and breathing normalized. I didn't feel cold anymore. And um and I was able to kind of stabilize. So after that, it, that was really the wake up call, I guess. I needed to, to have to admit to myself, like, obvi- like clearly my body is still fighting something. And even though at that point, my, um, my A goals <laughs> for the race, um, I already knew, like I had let that go. I still was kind of like, you know what? The whole family can just stay at home. I will drive to Maine by myself so that I can run the marathon and that I will drive back, you know, because I was still so determined to like, kind, you know, follow through with, with my plan. Um, but after that weird 
we, I don't know, panic attack. I'll call, call it a panic panic attack. Um, that was just the sign I think that I needed to kind of say, you know, Carolyn, it doesn't matter how mentally fresh you feel and um but your body is clearly fighting something it's not going to be worth it to even like slog through 26.2 miles you know like it's just it's not worth it for you know and what would you be doing that for so thursday was when i texted sarah and was like i don't i, I think i'll have to sit this one out and you know we talked on the phone i had a good cry <laughs> a feeling disappointed i think i texted you that day too yeah. Like, I think this is this is going to be our second episode. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. We're going we're gonna to change the title to Dreams Deferred with Carolyn and Matt. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't end up running it, but I was I'm thankful that the race was able to defer, um, defer my registration to next year. So Sugarloaf, you know, 2023. I'm hoping that's going <laughs> to follow go. through, you know. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I love it. Yeah. So when you were kind of like back to health, you know, so the marathon day had had gone past, right? So you're able to then, so also it's not like, you're still not running these like 1% what if scenarios. Like it's, it's gone by, it's over, 2023 or, or whatever comes next. And what was it like for you once you were able to get back at it? I know you're running now. Um in terms of like, you just went through a marathon cycle without the marathon, which I can relate to very well. Um, what was it like for you thinking about training again? Because for me, I can tell you, like, there's been a lot of family stuff. My, my kids got COVID in the interim and, and they were like completely asymptomatic. In fact, they were better than they were the pre the week before because they their allergies had lessened. Like whatever they were allergic to had dissipated. And, you know, it's still pollen crazy here. Like everything is covered in pollen all the time, but they're not allergic to that pollen. They're just other pollen, I guess. So like during their COVID week, they were like, they were nonstop. So anyway, but I still had to get them through homeschool and stuff like that. So um, anyway, I haven't been able to fully embrace training yet, mm. which you would expect because I didn't actually compete in the marathon. And yet, like I haven't like, gotten like it's not like I just fell back into training it's like kind of been like a slow slog uh how's it been for you well haven't you been running on trails I've seen that on your Strava right I was doing yeah I, I have been doing that um but I haven't like you know I've been like you know running in like the low 30s from a mileage perspective which isn't bad it's running but it's like 60 percent of what I was doing before and it's not like I gave the marathon effort where I had to recover from it you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, mm -hmm. there was no reason why I shouldn't be back in the 50s, you know, relatively quickly. Or even I, I was even in the 60s at certain points of the marathon build. So I'm like, you know, like half of what I was doing before. And even then, it's been kind of like, eh, you know, I haven't like been like super like get up and go about it, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting. Like, I feel like I have like a marathon hangover without the marathon. Yeah. So do you think that for yourself, is it mental? Like mentally, you're just 
maybe needing a break from that marathon training mindset and maybe that's why the trails are attractive to you or are you or do you still feel a little bit disappointed about things and you're working through that I think some of that I mean I had stopped running on trails because I was so worried about like spraining my ankle yeah same here before mm-hmm. the race so I was like I don't want to like miss this marathon because I did so I stepped on something stupid so it wasn't like I was like when I start doing trail running, it's like an escape from something. It was more like, all right, I'm not training for a marathon right now. I can like go back to this and not worry if like I step on something and something weird happens. I'm not going to miss anything. So it was more of that feeling. Um, I would say that like I think we've had just had like some family stuff going on, um, especially with the kids and that like the mental stress and energy around that. And then combine it with like, I can't say I've been sleeping great. Um, sometimes just because of that, I've had some really weird dreams um, associated with, with kid stuff. Um, and then also just like going to bed at a proper time has not exactly been in the cards either. So I think a lot of that is kind of interrelated. So uh, I think the family stress is combined with just the lack of, of sleep, which I can't say I've been, I haven't really been prioritizing because I haven't been running a ton. So I've just been like, I don't, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think I kind of crashed this last week because like last week, see, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I had like three days in a row and I ran really well. Like I was like, all right, this is be my first 50 mile week. Going to get back at it. So I ran like eight and a half and then I did 10 and then I did eight on basically three straight days. So it was like roughly 26 miles, which like had me going right where I wanted to go. And then by the end of the week, I was like, not not happening i was like i did like the classic like drive to where i'm gonna run and then just couldn't get out of my car like just sat there for like 20 minutes in my car being like i I'm, i can't do this i just can't do it so like i took like two mini naps during the day and like went for a run like at night but it was like after dinner it was like such a shitty run like it was like i like a, bill, like a bowl full of i got a belly full of <laughs> pasta oh i'm sloshing around <laughs> yeah it was like all right whatever it was like it was a joke but um, yeah, it's like, I don't know if it's been, if you've experienced this, I feel like most people have to some degree, but it's like, it almost feels like you're sick, but it's basically just like these other factors that are kind of, you know, coordinating in a way that's like, I remember because we were supposed to record this early, late last week. And I'm like, I feel like crap. I think like, I took another COVID test. I still didn't have COVID, even though my kids had it. And, um, and it was fine, but like, I felt, I felt sick. I felt like crap. There's no question about it. And it was just like, I think it was just all this other stuff building up. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. You know, once again, I feel like our lives parallel each other. But because I, after, you know, my my DNS marathon, um, the marathon that I never got to, I also had um, uh, some pretty intense, like, other uh, personal, I guess, personal, personal events happen in, um, in our family. And that was very emotionally exhausting and draining. And, and then I guess that like compounded with the fact that for me, um, I still had lingering, like elevated heart rate, um, even though overall my other COVID symptoms had gone away and the kids like bounced back super quickly. Um, Jimmy also, he, it took him a little bit longer to, um, uh, to, to fully recover, but because of that elevated heart rate and that just that very mild, you know, sense of fatigue that was still hanging out and then compounded with, you know, like all the other things in life that, 
that take of your capacity and energy. You know, stress is stress, right? Like we say that all the time um, within running and training. But that's for but, other people, not for Right, us. I know. <laughs> that's for your athletes that you coach, but not for you. <laughs> right, exactly. But I think that really does. I mean, we ask so much of our bodies and of ourselves. I think we need to recognize and um, uh and own up to how I think we also just tend to take on a lot more than maybe we should be. And our bodies tell us that eventually, <laughs> like, like uh, feeling sick or fatigued like that. But okay, so that's what was going on with you over this weekend. Like, I was so worried. I really thought that you had COVID because your kids had it. Well, I didn't. I, see, I, I wasn't aware of it at the time. I think kind of, you know, piece it together because I didn't end up getting sick. Right. It's kind of easy to tell afterwards. You're like, well, obviously it wasn't a cold because I didn't get a cold. <laughs> I thought I thought one was percolating. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that it's like that um, that expression that I've heard plenty of times. It's definitely an oversimplification, but I think it certainly can ring true in moments and certainly rings true for me right now is that, you know, that that I think it's an idiom. I don't know what it is. It's like you, you there's no such thing. There's no such thing as overtraining. There is only under recovering. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. Like, the obvious exception to this is like a stress fracture. If you get a stress fracture, you're probably overtraining, <laughs> right. not under recovering. But, um, but yeah, I think that was kind of it, that it wasn't, it wasn't that it was too much on my plate necessarily, as it wasn't like some crazy thing, right? It wasn't like a death in the family, right? So some a tragic event happening. It wasn't. It wasn't even close to that. Um, but I just think that I wasn't doing the the, the recovery stuff, um, you know, the sleep or whatever, uh, to kind of be my best. And I think that ultimately this sort of, this sort of thing is cycles through me quite a bit. Like there are definitely moments where, um, you know, every couple months or something, I'll have one of those like just down periods. And I think I can almost always trace it back to being like, you know, well, how were you sleeping? And it's like so easy to be like, well, I slept the same amount last week and I felt fine. Uh-huh. But it's like the the cumulative a, yeah. effect, yeah. where it's like, all right, now it's just now the the chickens are coming home to roost, uh, <laughs> in a sense. So, <laughs> God, I just, I, Caroline, I feel like I, I I like get the same lessons to learn every time, and I just never learn them. <laughs> I think at some point, at some point, it's going to happen. <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, maybe you're learning them a little bit faster <laughs> than in previous times. There you go. No, so you know, we'll see. So I, I did sleep well, really well the other night. Well, because my daughter had her first first ever sleepover. Parent <gasps> corner, parent Whoa. surprise, parent corner, um, or family jam. Was that what we're calling it? Family jam. Yeah, right. Um, yes. <laughs> wasn't on. Wasn't on the the pre the pre show rundown. So I have to admit. So we opened the spontaneous family jam segment. Daughter had her first sleepover. At your house or at a friend's house? Yeah, so so basically a friend sleepover, right? So it's like so we actually hosted it, but this was okay. with a friend. So she's done plenty of sleepovers. Like my grant, my my in laws live like across family, the street. Right. Yeah, yeah. My mom lives two miles away. They sleep yeah. over there all the time. Mm -hmm. Um so first friend sleepover, her 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 oh. best friend or whatever slept over yeah. on Saturday and she was super psyched about that. And my son was equally unpsyched. Because he didn't get a sleepover. <laughs> right. Yes, he wants a friend and a buddy. Right, so it's like because everything has to be equal in at the exact same moment. Everything has to be equal. There's no, there can be no lag in the equality. It has to be at the exact same moment. Um, yeah, you so, got to plan ahead for that. <laughs> well, they gave me an excuse to fall asleep because I was like, all right, well, like, hey, you'll let you sleep in my bed because my wife like wanted to sleep on the couch because they, they could sleep in the basement. Okay, so my wife slept in the couch so that like if her little friend 
like had an issue, she wouldn't have to like come find us somewhere. Yeah. You yeah. know, so like she, she slept on the couch over here. And then I was like, and then I was like, all right, well, I'll do a sleepover with Grayson. So we slept out there. So like, you know, besides the fact that his body is like a space heater. And this was <laughs> so hot. <laughs> I had to like turn on the AC in the middle of the night. Um, it was actually, I was actually in bed for a wicked long time. Because nice. bedtime's like, like 8 o'clock. So yes. I was in bed so I get like 8 o'clock. That's what she needed. Well, so then how did the sleepover go? It was perfectly uneventful, which okay. is all I cared about. So they had like, they had, they had watched their movies. They had their, you know, their sugary treats and whatever. And <laughs> next morning I went and got like a dozen donuts, you know, and, and all that. Yeah. So I think ultimately it was, it was totally fine, which was oh, all I wanted. How fun. Wow. Okay, wait. So speaking of the getting donuts, you know, for for the girls, did you see on Twitter over the weekend there was this huge like discussion, debate, controversy, I don't know what you want to call it, but it started um because someone had responded to this Reddit thread um, where a person posted on Reddit a question asking, what is the weirdest thing you've encountered at someone's house due to their culture or religion? Which oh, I'm like, I think I, I was vaguely aware of this. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't want to open this door. I'm not going to. Oh, I know. I, I would not have even like read that thread if, um, if I was scrolling Reddit. But what went viral afterwards was because there were people who commented and said um, that this is like people who are commenting all over all over the globe. So someone was saying that um, he's based out of Sweden and that when he was a kid, it boggled his mind. I guess he must be an expat because he was really surprised that when he slept over at a friend's house, they woke up the next morning and then the friend said, hey, I'm going to be back in a few minutes, went downstairs, but then was gone for like 15 minutes or so. So then this guy, he, he went downstairs to check where his buddy was and the whole family was having breakfast like without him. And then and then his friend just said, oh, I'm almost done and I'll be I'll be back upstairs in a few minutes. And so then he had to go back upstairs to wait while his friend ate breakfast together. And, and then, this was at a sleepover. Yes. It was at a sleepover. And then there were a bunch of people then who commented going back and forth. And it turns out, I guess, like in different regions of the world, the and even I would say different regions in the U.S., I'm sure, right? There are different norms <laughs> of what to do if you have a, a, a friend, your kid's friend is over. And let's say it's dinner time. They're all playing and dinner time is coming up. Do you then... Just have dinner and then ask your friend, your your kid's friend to wait, or like, do you send your kid's friend home, or do you feed them? And it was this huge like discussion because in my mind, like growing up, you know, obviously, okay, I'm I'm Chinese American, you know, but also I grew up in the South, so there's a lot of ho Southern hospitality, and it would just be unheard of to not feed anyone who's in your house. Like even to this day, if if Joshua or Chloe spontaneously, you know, have a friend come over after school, I don't care if we don't have groceries. I would be I would like scrounge something up, you know, to be offering the kids as soon as they come in from the door, you know, and if they're playing and it's like five o'clock, nearing six o'clock, I will ask them, do you want to stay for dinner? If we if we didn't even have enough, like I would make sure the guest was fed <laughs> and like my kids will not eat if that means my <laughs> their friends will be eating, you know, but then there are other parts of the country and other parts of the world where I think it was, you know, where people are like, no, 
it's rude. And if I am to go over to a friend's house, I would either pack my own meal <laughs> or if I know they're ordering takeout, I'll bring, I'll bring money to help pay for it. So anyway, I just thought, like, what, what is the norm? I don't know. Have you ever heard of that? I was, I, that's interesting. It's hard for me to wrap my brain. I guess it's just like so anathema to the way I was brought up um, to, to be, to like have that happen at like at a sleepover, right? It's one thing to be like, oh, I'm at, the, I'm at like someone's house and like, you know, I'm playing and like they planned their dinner and, you know, maybe I wasn't included in like the planning of the dinner because like I spontaneously like I'm playing with this kid, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, like that's completely understandable, like whatever. So, but it's like, I can't imagine be like, yes, you can sleep over our house, but no, we're not going to feed you in the morning. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a mind-boggling thing. Again, it, it's just because what I'm used to, but it's mm-hmm. like, I, I can't imagine it. No. So we're much more like the, hey, you know, do you need anything? Whatever. Like, I would say like from a snack perspective, I'm pretty casual about it in terms of like, hey, Grayson's friend. Hey, Callie's friend. Hey, you guys hungry? No. All right. Like, I'm not going to push it. I'm like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. keep playing, you know, um, and <laughs> just do your thing. But. Wow, that's that is really surprising. That's so surprising. I can't even. I, that kid must have been like. I can imagine him being like the mind-bogglingness of it. I think that's a great <laughs> expression that they use, or maybe they didn't. Yeah. Maybe you just used it, but it was. It was. That's exactly how I would feel. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, I guess I'll just go back upstairs and I'll wait here. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, sorry, that was total tangent. I love <laughs> That's it. on my mind. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, we're we're going to do another tangent. Hey, shout out to our sponsor, Tracksmith, for for fueling us for the love of the run. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to say I say fueling us is inside joke. I keep wanting to say fuel for the soul because our friends or believe in the run have a podcast called Fuel for the Soul, and I keep thinking that's the name of my podcast with Carolyn. I don't know why. I just do it every <laughs> single time. It's hysterical. But Tracksmith, shout out to you. I'm actually wearing. My favorite Tracksmith shirt. Actually, I have two new favorites, but we're going to highlight one thing every month. So this one I want to highlight this month. I've always worn the session shorts, which I think I talked about last episode. Um, this is the session shirt, which oh, I'm a uh-huh. huge fan of because in the past I've had the, the Merino wool shirts, which I really like for like weather that's like in the 40s. Merino t-shirt. Because it's, I run hot, but I like it. It's a little bit warmer in the beginning. And then like the Van Cortland is kind of the other end of the spectrum. Those are the two that I've always had. The Van Cortland is wicked, wicked breathable. Again, great for summer. Whereas I didn't feel like I had like that middle ground shirt. For me, this was exactly what I wanted. This was actually the shirt I wore at the Eugene Marathon that didn't go great. But it was the exact kind of like in between in terms of like it wasn't a little bit thicker, but it also did have the breathable elements. It fits me really nicely. Um, so, you know, for me, I always have to size up in Tracksmith okay. gear. Yeah. So people, some people get Tracksmith stuff. They do have like the user guide, the size guide. I found that I always need to size up. So I wear like a large shirt and even then it's still a little tight, but it fits me from a running perspective pretty well. So I am, I'm a big fan of this shirt. So the Session shirt is now one of my top two um sure so i'll talk about the other one next week or next month but i'm a big fan and it's really stretchy too which is nice um so anyway that's my my tracksmith pick of the month (laughs) i have been eyeing all of the session tops because for a while i think it was just like jackets and pants and shorts but now they do have the tops and uh yeah i keep looking at them online and i want to go into the store to like touch them <laughs> and well, this, pull this, them this, up this segment's and, like, great measure. this segment gives me an excuse to buy more stuff I'm like yes. holly i have to buy i have to spend more money on running gear because they're i have to support my sponsor work. it's for yes. work 
<laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have a pick this month? Um, I just ordered and got the Van Cortland tea, uh, tea, the blue and green colored one, the bright blue, bright, oh. bright green one. I've been looking at that one for a while, too. They, it was it's new this this spring. But uh, but yeah, I just did my trail run over the weekend in that. And you're right. Like, I do like the the coolness, coolness, both uh, <laughs> cool factor as well as, yes, temperature wise. But um, but that's been my favorite right now. Yeah, I wore the Van Cortland tee yesterday and it was hot. We live very close to each other. So it was it was a hot day and it was like it was enough. I don't there was a day where I used to do the, the sleeveless top. There was yeah. no more sleeveless. There's no more sleeveless. No, (laughs) so so it was the most breathable T-shirt I own. I'm so so glad I wore it. Go to Tracksmith today. Tracksmith.com. Use code. What is the code? I'm forgetting it now because now now I've now jinxed myself for the love of the run. Love of the run. Love of the run. Love of the run. Code. Love of the run. I I swear to God, this is going to work at some point. I'll be able to get this whole thing down. And five percent of your purchase goes to our charity of choice. Carolyn, what's that charity? Asian Mental Health Collective. <laughs> That's right. Yes. It's the same one, same one that uh, Diverse We Run supports as well. That's right. So that's going to be the charity all year long. So I knew I did know that, that one. I didn't want to be the only one pitching into the, the the ad. So I want to kick it over to you. Little little one-two step here. Um, so yeah, check out tracksmith.com. Love with the run code. Um, it's 5% goes to an amazing charity. Angie, good quality stuff that lasts forever. All my tracksmith stuff I still use, even though I got it years ago. So let's talk about a book. Actually, you know what? Let's do the Diversity Run Spotlight. Diversity yeah. Run Spotlight time. Who All do we right. got? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always, again, I, it's always so hard to pick. But um, I was just thinking about Erica Moore. She was feature 140 um, over on May 19th. So Erica, I actually met her um, last summer when we were both at the Trans Rockies run in Colorado. And she was just such an open and friendly, um, approachable person. Um, And so we have kept in touch. I asked if she wanted to share her running story. And I had no idea that, well, first of all, um, she has now been sober uh, since October 2016, and and that she first started running when she moved to New York City, and she was looking for a community, and specifically, and so, well, Erica is Black, and so she was specifically looking for a community of other Black women um, to connect with and and she found that through this like Facebook group of triathletes, of black female triathletes, which already is, I mean, is such a minority <laughs> group in general. And she did not bike. She did not swim. But she figured like, well, I can start running. Anybody can run, right? And so <laughs> that's how that's how she got into running. But little did she expect or little did she know through this running community, or this triathlon community, all of the women who are there, I think it just takes, I don't know, you for you to be a minority in a space and sport um, that really was never created for you and also makes it very difficult for you to, <laughs> to um, have longevity, like both in, in biking and swimming and running. Um, I think it takes a lot of fortitude. And I think all of the women within this group definitely understood the the significance and power of community. And so they definitely were like 
the most beautiful example of how empowered women empower women, you know, Um, and they not only like helped coach Erica in her running, but they hosted different types of like swimming clinics, bike clinics, how to set up your bike, how to transition from sport to sport. And um, and they eventually encouraged her to apply for this one. Like CNN a few years ago did some kind of, I don't know, triathlete um, event or like sponsorship for triathlon. And so then they encouraged Erica to apply for it which she never would have done if it was just her. Um, and she applied and won the, the I don't know, the, the contest, I guess. And so she was able to train for this triathlon with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and they participated in it together. And so it's still like available on CNN too, if you like Google it. But um, but yeah, like her her personal journey as well as like, well, her personal journey really is already super incredible and just like i love seeing the basically the the it's like a testament testimony of the power of community um and what happens when we are able to support each other and encourage each other and help each other you know um discover potent our potential but also foster that mind of curiosity that what if, you know, could I maybe, you know, like, wow, like you can accomplish, we can accomplish great things together. And so anyway, everybody check that out. Feature 140, Erica Moore on Diversity Run. And a great example of going for something that is like outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In so many ways. Right. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, like, all right, I don't bike. I don't run. I'm going to I'm gonna get in this like triathlon, like message board group, whatever. Like it really is like so many, so many steps seems like we're like, all right, I'm not even close to in my comfort zone here, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And then doing the CNN thing. And um, not that everything works out in the end in terms of like every, not like every effort, you know, bears fruit, but the, what a great example of just like continuing to, to try new things. Um Especially if it doesn't necessarily like align with what you currently got going on. Yeah, it's really. I mean, I it's very, very inspirational. I think and good lessons for all of us. I love the whole like any of this isn't a biking podcast, but the, the community in the bike scene is so so important because if for no other reason that you just you know when you're trying to get ready for a bike race, you're just doing that more in terms of time than run, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and much more yeah. than swimming in terms of how much time you're spending on the event. You know, it's almost like two or three times the amount of time. So it's like having people there with you can be so important just because like there's a lot of time to do it. You know, a little, you know, when you're riding a bike, especially on flat ground, like it's so much e- – it's just easy to talk. It's easy to chat because you're running – you're doing it at a lower heart rate most of the time than you are from a running perspective. Um, you know, if you can find people to ride with, it can really be an awesome, awesome scene. Oh, yeah. I was – I thought you were referring to um, all of the equipment and the technical stuff. Yeah, that's you know? a whole different thing. Like, I'm not <laughs> I was like, yeah, that seems like it'll take a lot. A lot. Oh, for and sure, right? You better, you better get a friend who works at a bike shop or something. Gosh, I mean, even just for running in and of itself, like it's not just a pair of sneakers that we need. You know, it's there's like all these nuances and ins and outs. And that's why I think, again, like the community aspect of it, I keep going back to that. It's so important because I don't know how else I would have navigated things. Especially like the longer you race and the longer you run. 
right? Like you've done, you do trans Rockies. Like you needed a whole mess of things yeah. to do that. Yeah. Versus like running your local 5K, you can just have be pretty minimalistic and bare bones with the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? But like you want to run an ultra, like good luck doing that on your own without any knowledge. Yeah, exactly. All right. Now we're going to dive into a little, little, little book review. <laughs> here on the Rambling Runner podcast. Yes. Um, so we say we're going to read. I uh, don't read. We, we did read. We're going to talk about Simulu's book, which was fantastic. If you are planning on reading it, you should probably turn off the podcast now. Of course, it's not like a, a fictional, traumatic story. It's just an autobiography. And, you know, if you know that he made it into the movies, then you already know the end. <laughs> yeah. So um, at least Spoiler. a little bit. Not, not, yeah, the, the drama isn't quite there as there are as, uh, in some of his movies, but um, we are going to talk about that now. So first of all, thank you for bringing this to my attention. I love the show Kim's Convenience, but I was unaware that this book was out there. Also, I'm completely unaware of the Marvel Universe. My kids just aren't into it. So I was unaware this guy was even like I knew of him as like, you know, on a show that I watch on TV, I was completely unaware of him from a movie perspective, and you brought it to my attention. So thank you because this book was so good. <laughs> I am so I'm first of all so surprised that you are not into the Marvel universe. I mean, movies aside, like Jimmy already knew about it because he used to read all the comics and he followed along with all the stories. Like he knew about the characters before they became the actual movies. And so when you were like, I don't follow any of the superhero movies and I didn't even know he was uh, one of the superheroes. I was shocked, shocked, Matt. No, I mean, I, I, I went through a time where I collected comic books, but I didn't even read them. I literally oh. bought them, what? put them in plastic, put covers <gasps> on them so they wouldn't get sun exposure and yeah. then put them away. Like yes. I didn't read any of them. I just bought them as like. An investment strategy. Right. This is when yeah. I was like, this is when I was like caddying, when I was like as big as the golf bags. I would like be like lugging around like a local golf course. And it was like, it was a pitiful sight all the way around. But it was like, I would, th- I remember one time I was like, I'm going to spend this $80 that I got on this because it will bear fruit someday. I think I, pre- I think I proceeded to lose all of them. So it didn't oh bear my fruit gosh. at all. But, um, but I love this book for so many reasons. Cause first of all, I like, like every book, right? You try to relate to the, ca- the main character in this situation. But then I also found myself like going through like, like a parenting, like come to Jesus moment of like, how am I parenting my kids? Cause this poor kids are recounting all this like issues he had with his parents who were abusive in a couple different ways. I'm like, I'm not physically abusive to my kids in any way, shape or form. Have I yelled at them? Plenty. But I'm like, I hope I don't do any of these things to my kids. Like, I'm like, I need to remember this book. So I don't like, like, I don't like, you know, take you know not that like i'm worried about that i'm going to be like mentally abusive to my kids but it was like one of those moments of like i don't want my kids to have this this feeling Mm -hmm. about me someday that i did them wrong in some in some case and so i kept going back and forth in terms of like like really honoring and, and respecting all the things this guy did in his life and even the bad things like showing the the um the honesty and forthrightness to talk about it in an unbiased way. But then also, and that was like, oh, this guy's a really inspiring guy. And then also the the parenting side of it being like, I hope I don't do this to my kids. Yeah, that was intense. Wow. So interesting. So you were you were coming or you were feeling the um, I guess the perspective of like I don't even know if I was taking I it wasn't taking like a perspective. It was more okay. of like, you know, it was like sometimes like you learn how to like do something by following somebody. And sometimes you can do the mm. opposite, right? Like yeah, you learn yeah. how not to act. Yeah. 
yeah. by 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 observing another kind of person. So it's like I definitely had that feeling. But it was like again, he 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 alludes to like, hey, if you don't want to hear about my family background, you can skip to chapter seven, I think. Oh right, right. So it's like, mm-hmm. no, I listened to the whole. You read, I listened. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. to, to the family background. So his parents were like these unbelievably hardworking and inspiring people mm-hmm, as they mm-hmm. were growing up and maturing and like, oh my god, like especially his mom, like talk about a hardworking person, and then like seeing like as he put it so many times in the book, like they're comparing his privileged life. Mm-hmm. in canada with like you know these two working parents who are doing these amazing things um and the only thing he has to worry about is like trying to look like nick lachey and get <laughs> girls this is his words not mine yeah. um and and they're like you spoiled little brat like what you have nothing to worry about compared to us we didn't even have clean water you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah but yeah. like he doesn't know that life he only knows right. his life and it's like the the juxtaposition there was like it was really interesting to it to read about and, and certainly at points like cringeworthy and painful to kind of see as like the third person in the room. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really interesting that that um, that his parents is um, the way that his parents treated him growing up was what really stuck out to you, because to me, I feel like that was very commonplace. Um, and but now I will say, you know, as a parent now <laughs> and one who was born and raised in America with much of this like American Western influence, I I, I can recognize, yes, <laughs> like the way that his parents were. I would also categorize as as abusive <laughs> and um, verb- verbally, physically abusive. But then again, you know, that's because I think that's the Western type of mentality. And there are so many, not just in Asian cultures, but many other cultures in the world where I think that's kind of just like a, a very normal standard way of um, raising your children. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but like, yeah. And there are tons of memes, you know, and jokes about like, about how like, oh, yeah, if you didn't get beat by your parents growing up, like, did they really love you? That kind of stuff, you know, amongst especially amongst the immigrant community. And I mean, I the first half of the book where he's sharing about his grandparents and his parents' journey, you know, like you said, like it was definitely by all standards, very, very difficult. I mean, it was post-war, you know, um, in, in commun- communist China, basically. And like the whole country was rebuilding and um, and just all the hardship that they had to endure and overcome in order to just have some semblance of stability. And then being able to basically like work as hard as they could in order to test, take a standardized test, and hopefully maybe be one of like millions of people to get accepted into graduate programs here in North America. Like that is huge, huge, huge. And at the same time, that is like I cried through that first half of the book because they mirrored my parents, Oh, you know, and Simu is only a few years younger than me. And so we are of the same generation of um, uh, of kids, I guess you could say, whose parents were also of the same generation and um, who had to just basically hold on, like 
undergo all of this societal parental pressure in order to be the best of the best and brightest to come over to North America for graduate school and like sacrifice and risk everything in hopes of creating in like hopes serious like really truly with no safety net you know like risk everything to possibly you know have some stability of creating a new life here um and like the way that he was describing the things his parents had to endure not just the microaggressions you know of being asian here in a in a country that still very much um saw the Asian face as like a foreign demon, you know? Um, My parents, they have shared with me little snippets of when they were in grad school at Kansas State University and how in the summertime, um, the international students, like they didn't have, they didn't have the funds or money to, to go back home, you know, to their families. So in the summers when all of their other, you know, Western American classmates would go home for the summers, they would still be there on campus. And so what, what their little international student group did was they pooled all of their money together to all then be able to buy a used car or used van so that they could all drive from Kansas to <laughs> Las Vegas, but hold on there. Um, and then from there, they uh, all got jobs um, working as like hotel housekeeping staff or like bellhops and stuff. Um, so to this day, like that is how my mom learned to like fold flat sheets, bed sheets, like into those perfect crisp corners and edges because like that's what she did to earn money over the summer so that they would have money for tuition or for like textbooks and stuff the for the following semesters, you know? And that was like, that was the life that they lived um, frugally, practically, you know, saving. And then I remember so many times as like a preteen or as a teen where my mom was basically like a mirror of Simu's mom, you know, to me, like my mom and I had a very tenuous relationship (laughs) growing up as well because of this very, like the exact same reasons. And there was one time where I I still remember um, we were late returning a video to Blockbuster Video, um, you know, back in the day, where that was our that was our family thing to do, right? We go to the video store um, to rent movies for the weekend. And, um, and it was it was totally my fault that like, I had either like forgotten to bring it with me when our family was out or whatever. But like, um, we were going to incur a late fee. And the late fee was $1. And I said something snarky, like, is $1? No big deal, mom. You know, I said something like that. And my mom was furious. I mean, if she wasn't in the, if she wasn't the one driving, she was driving and I was in the backseat, I know she would have like slapped me in the face for being like that. And she went on about how like I did not understand the value of money and of of saving because I was a spoiled, yeah, I was a spoiled American child who just like was frivolously flitting away our dollars, you know, and this is over like a $1 late fee. So it definitely was like, whoa, I can understand how I mean, it you resonates. Can, you can <laughs> see it like in these stories, like this this completely understandable but almost insurmountable disconnect between the childhood that Simu had in terms of like just the reality around him and like the reality that that they had around them is 
as kids. And like they're trying to like transpose their early life onto him, be like, this is what you need to understand, this is what you need to understand. But like he's not living that life. Yeah. He just wasn't, just like yeah. you weren't. Like you're like, I'm, I'm so sorry that was hard, life was hard hard for you in hard bin, but like I'm not living that life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's it's all it's, it's so much of it is so relative. And it's like it's like you read it and it's heartbreaking. I'm so glad that he introduced this section as like he doesn't say it explicitly, but like he talks about his parents earlier in the book. He obviously has a good relationship with them, which I think is really yeah. important to set the yeah. stage for this because it's easy to read this and be like, these people must never talk to each other now. Right. <laughs> because like they obviously, they all hated each other completely. Um, and certainly that wasn't the case, but that's how it reads if you were just to like take those chapters and silo them out and just read those. And it's just like, it's like this insurmountable gap in terms of like, you don't understand my experience. No, you don't understand my experience. It's like, well, you know, you're both right. Like, neither of you understand anything about each other, seemingly. Yeah. I mean, which is why I think this book just speaks to so many different, I mean, so many different people. And especially, I think, to anybody whose parents are immigrants, you know, who have come over, regardless of like from China or whatever other country, you know, the, 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 yeah, holding that tension between, deeply desiring to honor and please your parents and to like have their approval and acceptance, right? But at the same time, also navigating and discovering and being true to yourself and your own identity and how, like, how do you pursue what's true for you while still honoring your parents, holding the weight of their expectations, their sacrifice, like all of that, you know, and... I mean, and it, like the rest of the book too. Like, I just love his his storytelling voice. I'm like, I want our family to listen to his audio book because he said it's, it's so him, good. right? It's so that good. he reads it. Ah, oh, yeah, because he just it's so. I love how he punctuates some of the serious aspects of the book with with like something lighthearted, and he'll like spin it into a joke, or he'll say something really witty, you know, and um, and it's just like it's a really cool coming of age story and talks about how he went from being in business finance or not finance accounting into recognizing and pursuing right his his dreams in in acting and then how like even now he uses his platform not just necessarily for like his self-realization but for a greater greater purpose of building representation and giving voice to Asians in general, Asian Americans, you know, um, who I think historically have been not just demonized, but like um, silenced or made invisible. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because he talks a little bit about, he says this explicitly a little bit, but it certainly runs through a large part of it of like, it's not just that like his parents, like, were abusive to him, but it was like also under the guise of like because he was um you know Chinese Canadian at the time that he also wasn't getting societal support mm-hmm. in terms of what he was it was capable of doing or what his potential was or seeing himself as not like this asexual nerd that he felt yeah. like he was being portrayed as like yeah. in the in like in the, like he loved movies. So like that's how he saw himself in the movies, right? So it's not like hey you're getting you're getting this kind of feeling at home, but like from the from from societal version, like you do get pumped up or like, hey, yeah, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. He was kind of getting it from both sides. Yeah. So he was like, yeah. he you could feel that he was just like under this big ball of like 
you know, it was like the coal turning into the diamonds mm. kind of feel like there's just pressure Ooh, from all good, sorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was so interesting. Also like that feeling of like, hey, if you don't care about certain things deeply, it doesn't matter what your motivations are for pleasing other people. Like it just isn't sustainable. And obviously like he wasn't like trying all that hard to please his parents, but like he still like had vestiges of that even when he first started at Deloitte. Mm-hmm. And um, it was so funny. It's like he just couldn't do it. And it was funny. His last day at Deloitte reminds me like so much of like the last day of one of my jobs when I was oh, fired. Oh, dang. And it was like, I didn't want to be there, but like the pain of losing my job was also yeah. very real because, yeah. you know, and it was, it was, uh, it was funny because it's kind of set the stage for what I do now. So I view it as a blessing, but at the moment I'm like, that sucked. And even I still have bad dreams about it. Like in terms of like, it's still like, it still is there, but that idea of like doing it for other people is not as, is not a sustain, even, even if you love those other people, it's not a sustainable motivation or, uh, in terms of, um, you know, decades or even years of, of, of output. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That was, that's a great takeaway message right there. But all right, we can't dive too much into that because we both got to go. You got to yeah. take your, you got to take Tomo to an appointment. I know. Little guy. I know. I was just looking at the time like, shoot, <laughs> we're going to be late. That's and okay. My, my dog's over here with the cone of shame on his head. He had a little, oh. uh, got, got a haircut a little too tight on his hindquarters and he was going oh. after. He's going to give himself an infection. So he's got the, he's, 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 oh, he has buddy. the cone of shame and he's living the cone of shame life. He is, you can tell he is not. He's so glad that other dogs are not witnessing this experience. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for hopping on, for listening to us. Go check out Tracksmith, Love of the Run, for the code. 5% goes to an unbelievable charity, and you get great gear. Who doesn't love that? Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.